When I had Brett speak, we didn't stand for him. We just, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not going to sit on a stool and I'm not going to reach in here and pull out my cell phone uh, because that's cheating. You have to use a real Bible that has pages. I want to hear the rustling of the leaves. Brett was sitting here in the first service, and I was giving him a hard time. But uh, I love your pastor, love this church, been following you for a long time. And you just got some great leadership here. You're, <laughs> I know one thing, you sure are an excited church, that's for sure. And I, I don't normally dance in church, but I thought I was going to get rolling here for a while. Is it? it might rub off, I don't know. Maybe we'll go back and change resting. I'd like you to take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn to Proverbs chapter 9. Proverbs chapter 9. I'm just going to read one verse, and we're going to talk today about the subject matter of wisdom. Wisdom. Something that the world needs and something that the church needs. So Proverbs chapter 9. I'd like you to look down at verse 10, and then we'll dive in. We read these words. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Father, I do pray for Brett and his dear wife that they could get some time away to rest, to get recharged, to be encouraged. Bless them. And now, Father, I pray that you'd open our eyes that we behold wondrous things out of your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we dive in to the subject of wisdom, I want to make sure that we aren't mixing terms. I want to make sure we're not confusing wisdom with knowledge or wisdom with being smart. Knowledge is the accumulation of information. The world has been accumulating information for a very long period of time to the point of literally accumulating inf uh, information at almost an exponential rate. Any of you that are in the world of science or business or technology, you know things are moving very fast. But the world doesn't seem to be changing very much, at least not for the better. Wisdom can be defined as seeing life from God's perspective. It can be uh, defined as a skill for living. I personally uh, have my own definition for it. I believe that wisdom is the biblical application of knowledge or the spiritual application of knowledge. And I'm going to show you why here in a minute. Knowledge, according to the world, is designed to solve problems. So if, if knowledge is increasing at a tremendous rate, the problem should be going down. I don't know if you've seen the paper recently, but all the newspaper does is record how bad the world was the day before. That's all it does. And it hadn't changed one bit through the years. Hadn't changed a bit. Matter of fact, there was a, a wonderful pastor that lived in the 1800s named J.C. Ryle. And Ryle made this statement. He said, give me a candle... And my Bible, lock me in a dungeon, and I'll tell you what the world is doing. I wish I had come up with that line. That's a great line. Give me a candle and my Bible, lock me in a dungeon, I'll tell you what the world is doing. He died many, many years ago. If he came back today, he'd look around and go, doesn't look like anything has changed, except for the technology, better medicine, people living a little bit longer, but nothing's really changed. Human heart hasn't really changed a bit. The world hasn't changed a bit. The reason the church must have wisdom is to demonstrate to the world what that looks like. Now, I do this every week at our church, where if, and, and I'm, I'm a visitor, but I'm also 
encouraging any of you that might be a visitor here today. We're thrilled you're here. You might be coming to the church for maybe the first time. Maybe you don't even consider yourself a, a Jesus follower or a believer. We're glad you're here. We're thrilled that you're here. Because I think you're going to see some things today that just might cause you to wonder a little bit about why isn't the world changing with an increase in knowledge? Here's the main reason. It took me a long time to figure this out. I always knew that the main problem was the human heart. I understood that. But I still couldn't figure out why, with knowledge moving at the rate that it was, why things weren't changing. And it dawned on me one day a couple of years ago, it's the abuse of knowledge that is causing our problems. God doesn't have a problem with knowledge. He has a problem with abusing knowledge. He even tells us to go to the fish, learn of their ways. Go to the land, learn, learn. Go to the sea, learn of its ways. God has no problem with knowledge increasing. He has a problem with the abuse of that knowledge. Take, for example, we have knowledge and technology regarding entertainment. You can have a television set. I don't think God is opposed to television sets. He might be. I don't know, but, he, but he, I have one. All right. So uh, <laughs> if you have Netflix, they say that that the latest statistics show that people have Netflix last year watched 600 hours on Netflix alone. That's the abuse of entertainment. And we want to know why seated there so long, type 2 diabetes, overweight, all kinds of problems come when we abuse knowledge. We have more knowledge today about finances than we've ever had. We're more in debt than we've ever been. How can that be? We're smart. We're smart. We know more today about neuroscience and the chemistry of the brain than we've ever known, and depression is at a rate that we can't even control. It's up tenfold in the last ten years. These statistics aren't coming from Christianity today. They're coming from the Centers for Disease Control. This is coming from the world. We know more about how to take care of ourselves. We've got more exercise machines. We're unhealthier than we've ever been. Okay, now I'm, I'm going to start meddling. We know more today about weight loss than we've ever known, and we're heavier than we've ever been. The average man in the 50s weighed 22 pounds less than the average man does today. Same thing with women all over. How can this be? How can we know more about child psychology and there are more prodigals than there ever been? How can we have so much knowledge? It's because we abuse the knowledge that we have. The world... Their God is to believe that knowledge is going to solve the problems of the world. I know there's a statement that's been made, <laughs> it's been made many, many times. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. 5,000 years of recorded human history. Wouldn't you think that even people in the world that don't believe in God or don't believe in Jesus or aren't followers of the Bible, whatever, don't you think they just pause for a moment and say, what in the world is going on? Why aren't things getting better? Sure, living longer and all that. That's, that's not the real problem. That's not the problem. Jesus said it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of the man. It's the heart condition. Jesus didn't come into this world to fix the world. He didn't come in to fix the heart. He didn't come to do surgery. He came to give us a new heart. If we don't have the wisdom to understand the condition of the human heart, we have no way of reaching people that do not understand the gospel. Now, here's what I want you to... I want you to get this one thing. Get this picture. You'll forget who said it. I don't care. Just remember this. I want you to picture an hourglass. And I want you to picture the top of that hourglass, 
the sand that is coming down. The top of the hourglass represents the future that's coming our way. We do not know how much time we have. We don't know how many grains of sand are left. All I know is a lot more fall into the bottom of mine than it's at the top, but that's just where I am, all right? But I still don't know how much time I've got, all right? Each one of those grains of sand represents something. It represents a word you're going to say, a thought you're going to have, an attitude. It could be ethics, morality. It's, it represents something. And when it falls to the bottom, it becomes your legacy, all right? So we know it's coming. We don't know what's going to happen. We know it's coming. And the only time we have any control at all, we have no control of what's coming. The only time we have any say is at the neck. Look what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. If the fear of the Lord isn't at the neck, what will fall through will be world system thinking. The way of the world's thinking. And what drops to the bottom will be our legacy. The church can't afford to have a legacy that did not fear the Lord. Where there is an absence of wisdom in the church, the church will be discipled by the world. At our church, every week I usually give a sort of a summary tagline uh, to all that I'm going to say. And I repeat it several times so people get it. They may not remember the message, but they might remember that little tagline. And that's one of them right here, is that, is that where wisdom is absent in the church, the world will step in and it'll disciple us. We can't, the church can't afford to have the world discipling it. So here's this hourglass, and I just want you to be thinking because you do know the future's coming. You know the future's coming. And here's the second thing I want you to realize. As that future is coming, and you know it's coming, you want to make sure that wisdom is there to greet it. Because if it's not, if there's not a fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord doesn't necessarily mean a knee-knocking fear, though it can. Trembling at His Word, the Bible talks about in Isaiah. So here is this, here's our life. And God says, don't presume upon the future. You don't know what the future holds. But, but, but while that sand is coming, and you may have decisions this week on purchasing something you think might get you in great debt. You might have something, maybe it's a moral situation. Maybe you're traveling and you're thinking, I could fall into some sin while I'm gone and, and be on the computer or be someplace where nobody's going to see me, that sort of thing. Just remember, as wisdom, as the, as the grains of sand are falling, if wisdom isn't there to meet it, you probably won't make a wise decision. And when we don't make wise decisions, problems happen. Serious problems. Now, I want this church, as well as Reston Bible Church and churches throughout the land, to leave a legacy, a very strong legacy of wisdom. Very, very strong. Now, I just want you to realize, pause for a moment with me here, and I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but I do want you to think, if you go back to your high school graduation or your college graduation, I want you to try to think, who spoke at my at the commencement exercise. Now, some of you might think, oh, it was, uh, uh, it was, it was a, uh, a Hollywood personality or it was a great military guy or it was a congressman or whatever. You, you might remember who. Do you remember what they said? Probably not. I can tell you exactly what they said. You're thinking, what? You weren't at my... No, I wasn't at your high school graduation. I was at Methuselah's high school graduation, but I wasn't here. <laughs> Let me tell you exactly what they said. 
Here's what they said. You're the generation that's going to change the world. (laughs) What the mind can conceive, you can achieve. (laughs) It's exactly what they said. They all say the same thing. I told the first service, so you mean if I can conceive in my mind that I can be a linebacker for the Redskins, that's going to come about? If I got hit by one of them, they'd bury me in four different cemeteries. As a matter of fact, President Allen of of the Redskins was here in the first service, and he texted Brett during the service and said, tell Mike that position's filled. (laughs) True. Here's the point. The point is that when you open up the Bible, you're entering in to the world of the unknown. Biblical truth, biblical revelation is given to us because of things we could never understand from a microscope or a telescope, things that science can't tell us. What science can tell us, God's not interested in telling us. He said, you can figure that out on your own. But what you can't figure out are those things that are beyond your, your ability to understand certain things. That's why God has given believers an illuminated mind to be able to understand the deep things of God. All right? So when you open up the Bible, you're basically opening up a book of revelation. It's what God wants man to know that man could otherwise not know. And when a church is strong in its wisdom, the world stands up and takes notice. Very, very careful notice. And so my objective in the few minutes that I've got today is to encourage you to be thinking about that hourglass, thinking about the decisions that are coming up, Thinking about things in your life, they could be moral decisions, ethical decisions, financial decisions, makes no difference what they are. Just make sure that wisdom is there to meet that decision, whatever it happens to be. That passage in, in, in Proverbs uh, 9, in, in, in this verse 10, just listen. The fear, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's just the beginning of wisdom. Now here's something else, and I don't want to go too far off in this tangent. If evolution is true, and evolution is a positive term, it's talking about moving upward. Uh, I once had a company, it's evolved into a corporation. You don't ever say, I had a corporation and it evolved into a company. You don't do it. It's always moving upward. Always, it's a very positive trajectory. If this is what evolution has produced, it owes us an apology. It's responsible for why the world is in the mess that it's in. And tomorrow's paper is going to say the same thing that today's paper said. It's simply going to tell us how bad we were the day before. That's how it works. And I, as one who's been around for a while and been around the block a few times, I just tend to watch the world. I feel like I'm I'm on the moon looking down at the world like they're ants just racing around trying to figure out what everything's all about. And, and, and it's, it's not that I'm so wise. It's that the Bible gives me that perspective. I can look at this and say, oh, I get it. I get it. Genesis. Man is evil from his youth up. Uh, you read through the heart is deceitful and incurably wicked. Who can know it? It's not what goes into the man. It's what comes out of the man that defiles him. And then in 2 Timothy 3, Paul says in the latter days, and he just gives this whole list Nowhere does the Bible say, oh, things are going to get better and better and better. It doesn't say that. It's never said that. Man goes down to catch a stagecoach a couple hundred years ago. He just misses it. He goes up to the ticket agent and he says, when's the next one? 
The guy says, two weeks. He goes, two weeks? He goes, ballistic. Goes home. Thank goodness for technology and human wisdom and knowledge. His son goes down to catch a train. He dismisses it. Goes up and says to the ticket agent, when's the next one? He says, two days. He goes, two days? He goes, ballistic. Goes home. Thank goodness for technology. His son goes down to catch a plane. He just misses it. When's the next one? Two hours. Two hours? I've got to be in L.A. Come on. He goes to the airport Starbucks, gets a cafe latte, sits down, puts his Bose noise-canceling headset on, plugs into his computer, watches a movie, steaming the entire time. But thank goodness for technology. His son has his business in his home. He rolls out of bed, goes to his computer, turns it on. It says approximately two minutes for download. He wants to put his fist through the screen because he's got a slow connection. (laughs) From two weeks to two days to two hours to two minutes. Technology changed. Human heart hadn't changed one bit. Not a bit. Not a bit. And if we are not observant of that, if we're not aware of what the Lord is telling us in here, if if we're not conscious of that... We will not be conscious of what the world is doing. It's, it's just like Ryle's statement. Give me a candle. Put me in a dungeon. Give me my Bible and I'll tell you exactly what the world is doing. What he said 200 years ago is exactly what's happening right now. Exactly what's happening right now. Am I thankful for the improvements that have been made? And I'm so thankful for Novocaine. I'm thankful for it. <laughs> a lot of things I'm thankful for. But that didn't change in my heart any. I still get mad if I've got to wait for something for two minutes and I go, Mike, you preach against this and you're doing it yourself. You know, it's just, it's, 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 it's getting into this and saying, what is the wisdom that is here? What, what's the actual wisdom? Now, when you look at this, I would suggest that all of you at some time, if you are not terribly familiar with this particular text, and it's another message for another time, but, but here's what I would like you to do. I want you sometime this week to go home Open up your Bible to the book of Romans and you can read all the chapter, but particularly from verses 16 to 32 will tell you everything you need to know about the world. Everything. And you'll be very wise for it. Extremely wise. Here's why. Because God is letting you in on a secret. He says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Then he goes on, he says, but people suppress the truth of the gospel. Why? Because of unrighteousness. They're fearful that God is going to change their life. They don't know what they're missing out on. (laughs) They need the change, but they're fearful. So they take take what they know to be true. They know there's something wrong inside. They know it, it needs to be taken care of, and they push it. They suppress it. They hold it down. And then it goes on, it says, for when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. You know what the word fool means in Scripture? It does not mean mental incapacity. It doesn't mean somebody with a low IQ. A fool in the Bible is someone who lacks moral, a moral compass. That's what a fool is. It's somebody who lacks a moral compass. They don't know what the direction is. And life in every society is so designed by God to be held together by moral and ethical fiber. And when a nation loses that, and loses that fiber, the nation starts to deteriorate. No nation has ever risen and fallen because of its economy. It rises and falls because of its morality. 
That's why nations rise and fall. It's because of their morality. And let me tell you something else that happens. And you'll observe this in life. Just, just keep your eyes open. Watch things that are going on. Just watch what's taking place in life. When sin enters society, any society, it is usually irreversible. Usually you, you can't do anything about it, no matter how hard you try. Because the human nature has now found that sin to be very pleasurable. And people don't want it taken away from them. Let's go back 1939, Gone with the Wind. Clark Gable says, frankly, my dear, I don't give a D, ends with an N. The motion picture industry sued 20th Century Fox or MGM, whichever it was, $5,000. That was a lot of money in those days for allowing a curse word on the silver screen. Here's what happens. Follow me here. When sin enters society... The world and the people at that time, everybody, it wasn't just the church, people were shocked. They were like, oh, shock. Then it goes from shock to tolerating it. Well, what will tolerate it? Then it goes to accepting it. Then it goes to embracing it. And then it goes to promoting it. Are you aware that they swear in the movies today? Like sometimes upwards of a thousand times, I keep, I just don't go. Unless it's a Disney movie or something. I'm not putting any legalism on you. I'm just telling you, I'm just not interested in hearing that. And here we've gone, here we've gone from shock to promoting it. And it's true in all the other moral areas. And we're in a free fall right now as a nation. The world's in a free fall. The government's not going to fix it. And if you work for the government, God bless you, be the salt and light. Military is not going to fix it. If you work in the military, God bless you. Education is not going to fix it. Mankind's never going to fix it. He can't. Because it doesn't need to be fixed. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be purchased out from under. The gospel must go forward. The kingdom must advance. And the church cannot be lackadaisical on this. Grace covenant needs to be a church of great influence. And I'll give you a little line here. I don't know where I got it from years and years ago. The power of influence is greater than the power of position. People that surround the president have influence. And those people, the influence is actually greater than the position. There are people that influence you. There are all kinds of people that have tremendous influence. They don't even realize the, the influence they have. Well, God has called the church to be salt and light. Why? Because it's a decaying, dark world. We're to have that influence. We're to, we're to move forward with that influence and touch this world. And this church, you know, there's a lot of people here that have tremendous influence, just like we have at Reston and other churches in the area. Are you aware that 80% of the internet traffic of the world goes through Ashburn? 80%. We are, we, of all time, all place, for such a time as this, God has placed this church, the church that I pastor, right here in the center location of the most influential place in all of human history. Human history. Greatest power, greatest level, uh, level of influence. And that's what we're called to. We're called to that. I look at this text, and I'm just absolutely so moved by it. Here comes the sand. Here comes the sand, all right? It's far better to say, what am I thinking? 
getting ready to get in this amount of debt. What am I thinking? If I'm getting ready to turn on and look at something, what am I thinking? It's far better to say, what am I thinking, than what was I thinking? Once it's fallen through. How many times do we read that a great athlete, a great military leader, a great congressman or senator, they find out there's some moral problem in their life, it's all over the pages, and their entire life is ruined. Ruined. You know what they're saying as they go to bed at night? What was I thinking? You know what they were thinking? There was no fear of God. None. We've all been there. We've allowed the thoughts to come in, the attitudes, because we don't fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. Just the beginning. There's a growth process through this. The knowledge of the Holy One gives us insight, gives us insight into these great, great truths of Scripture. So here we have Romans 1 telling us what the world is like. And by the way, as believers, we are never, ever, ever to be arrogant toward the world. We are never to look at the world and get angry with people that disagree with us. Never. We are to be humble servants of God before a lost and dying world. And I praise God for this church because you guys are knocking it out of the park. And don't stop. Keep it moving. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a verse 19. If you're not familiar with the first few chapters of, of 1 Corinthians, it deals with wisdom and knowledge. And it deals with the, with the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And there's, there's sort of a competing going on here, a little bit of a, of a view of what the world thinks of God's view. God's view is considered foolishness of the world and vice versa. But then you get to this passage and it says this in chapter 3, I think it's verse 19. It says, God will take man in his own craftiness. God will take man in his own wisdom, so to speak. Here, here's what it means. Same thing as Romans 1. God turns people over to a reprobate mind, a mind that has no moral code, no standard, all right? In other words, when people push God out, when they suppress the truth, God backs up and says, go for it. Let me see you figure this out. Let me see you figure out life. You don't want me, you don't want my word, you don't want my wisdom, good, I'll, I'll sit back. You're putting me on the back burner, I'll put you on the front burner. And we'll turn up the heat and we'll watch. God will take man in his own craftiness, in his own wisdom. That's actually a quote out of, out of the book of Job. Listen, this is a book of wisdom. It's a book of, it isn't just Proverbs. It's got, the whole Bible gives us an understanding of where we came from, why we're here, where we're going. We know exactly what's going to happen in this world. I, I know the whole trajectory. It's not moving upward. It's not and all you have to do is observe it. Every single day you can see what's happening. It is not moving in a positive trajectory. It's going downhill. So here is how we minister to the world. Maybe you're at your office. People are upset with ISIS. They're frightened about possible nuclear attack from North Korea. Or they're fearful about this. All these different things. You'll have an opportunity to say, can I ask you a question? 
Is that really what you're concerned about? The real problem in your life and my life is us. We're the problem. And I often tell our people, when the problem tries to solve the problem, that's a problem, all right? That's a problem. I get a kick out of these self-help books. Self is the problem. What? Self is going to help self? Anyway, so, so, so we're, we're trying to let people in, in on, the, on this sort of secret, this secret that God has, has revealed to us. You know, your, your problem and my problem isn't ISIS and isn't this. It's us. It's our inability to get along with our spouse, our children, the next door neighbor. Those are our problems. Our finances, well, that's, that's our problem. That's what the problem is. And God tells us that's, that's the condition of the human heart. And when people want to argue and get into all kinds of arguments about evolution and creation, all those things, I don't, I don't even go there. I just say, do you see the world changing for the better? Do you see man improving things? And they'll start naming how we're living longer. Listen, my father died at 88 and we buried him at 93. You know why? Because of technology to keep him alive. And that just adds to the statistics of how much longer people are living and so on. He had no life at all. None. All right? And I'm not opposed to keeping people alive for a long period of time. That's not my point. My point is, if the world can just understand what God is revealing, all of a sudden, something begins to penetrate. And they go, I've never heard that in my life before. I've never even paused to think about that in my life. I had no idea. I, why, you're right. All the paper does every day is tell me that things are not getting better, they're getting worse. And yet we're increasing in knowledge. It's the abuse of the knowledge. It's not the knowledge. It's the abuse of the knowledge. And the church can abuse the knowledge. And if the church is not wise, the world will disciple the church. And the church is called to disciple the world. Go make disciples, not just converts, disciples. My concern, and last week I gave a hard message to our church. I kind of took everybody out, including myself, to the woodshed. Ted, take the responsibility for a few things. But I said, I really think we're starting to slip. And I named about four areas that I thought we were starting to slip because I'm, I'm observing things all around, everywhere. In the United States, I'm seeing Christians become very casual. You can come in, you can sing, you can raise your hands, you can shout the victory, and you can walk out here and have the world grab a hold of you by the neck for the rest of the week. Because we've only got, what is it, 168 hours in a week, whatever it is, and, and we're, we're here for an hour, and maybe you've got other, something else, you're being discipled someplace. That's great. But the church has you for, the world has, has us for a long period of time, Amen. a very long period of time. And it's, it's constantly pulling us. The advertisements and all the things that are just coming our way everywhere. This is where you need to go. This is what you need to buy. And if we don't have wisdom, we're going to be in a boatload of trouble. What am I thinking? Not what was I thinking. No. Every single message that I give, I realize that there's a tension that is created in the message. There's always a tension. And the tension is, well, wait, wait a minute here. I'm supposed to marry the wisdom uh, to, the, to the knowledge and, and I, how do I do that? Where is that found? And, and, and there's this tension. 
Everything, all the tension in the Bible is resolved in the person of Jesus. I'm not going to have you turn there because we just don't have time, but in Colossians chapter 2, go back and read it. It says, all wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus Christ. It's married in Christ. All wisdom, all knowledge. He knows all things. He has all the knowledge. He's not opposed to knowledge. He's opposed to the abuse of the knowledge. He's opposed to the church not having the wisdom married to the knowledge. Because when the church doesn't marry the wisdom to the knowledge, the knowledge is abused. And then the sand falls. And the pile fills up and we look down and we say, what was I thinking? Now, some of you might even be saying, Mike, I've, I've blown it. I've just totally blown it. I'm getting too old. It's too late. You know, I've just, everything at the bottom is just a mess, absolute mess. It is never too late to start doing what is right. God will honor anyone at the last second just ask the thief on the cross. All right? This is why God gives us these revelatory points so that we don't feel condemned. For there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know all of you here by any stretch of the imagination, but there could be one, five, ten that have come in today and you've thought, I'm not even so sure I believe the Bible or Jesus or whatever. But I want you to, I want you to be thinking about this. Is anything that was said today penetrating? Not because I said it but because the Word of God dug into your heart and you know, you know what has been said is true. And I'm inviting you today, if you never have, to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ who is full of all knowledge and wisdom and to give you everlasting life. Salvation is not based on how good you are, how much money you give, where you go to church. It's based solely in the person of Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. When you put your faith in Christ and Christ alone, alone is the key word, you will leave the kingdom of darkness and enter into the kingdom of God's dear Son. You will pass from death unto life. You will be given everlasting life. And the Bible says this, the scriptures are written to make us wise unto salvation. Let's pray.